0: Yes, and good morning. We are so thrilled that you guys are here today. I was talking to one of our usher people, greeter people outside. And it's amazing. You know, like on a day like today, it would be so easy to have a lower crowd. We've got a bigger crowd. So we are just thrilled that you're here and I know we have more today on Facebook than normal. So Facebook crowd, we're glad that you're with us. And some of you might be listening on 102.3 FM, and we are glad that you are. You might say we have three campuses today. We've got here and we've got our Facebook campus and our radio campus and we are glad um, for all of you folks to be here. Hey, now I'm probably going to forget if I don't do this right now. Um, last week on Saturday was Paul Emery's 90th birthday and I Really meant to do a shout out. Then we send him a card, do some other things. But uh, we just want to him know how much we appreciate him. In case he had to be listening today, now you know, when a guy lives to be ninety, that's just pretty impressive. Let's just be honest, you know. Amen. Yeah. And almost as impressive is the fact that my brother Brent is fifty-eight. Yesterday, also. So we want to give him a big woohoo! Yeah. Amen. God bless you, dear brother. All right. And I think, is Kathy Lindsay here? Yeah, I think today's your birthday too, isn't it? Happy birthday to you. Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? Well, Brent and Kathy wanted to buy lunch for the entire church today. So if you'll go to El Rand afterwards, I know you guys will be there and you'll take a, take a note. <laughs> don't, don't jump in L Rand <laughs> expecting a free lunch. Uh, that probably will not happen. But anyway, yeah, youth, we're glad to have you guys, students. Uh, so much, it's just a good day already. We could probably say amen and go home. But instead, we're going to start a brand new sermon series. Uh, it's called Love It Ain't For Sissies. And I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be very challenging for us. And something that we really need. And you'll get that um, in just a few moments. Our key verse is... 1 Corinthians uh, thirteen thirteen, And again, this is a very, I know it's a very familiar scripture, but hopefully we're going to be in so many different new angles that we'll give you something to chew on every week. But Paul said this. Paul said, now these three remain. And he names three really big deals. He names faith, Hope and love. You know, the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. So that's a big one. And then hope, I think it was Rick Warren, who said we can live days without food and days without water, but we can't live a single minute without hope. So hope is a big deal. And then there's this love, and we're going to spend the entire 35 minutes talking about that. But here's what Paul says. Don't miss this. Of those three things, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And don't ask me why, but for some reason, this thing that Paul says, the greatest of these is love, somehow shifts off our radar in our teaching and our practicality in church. And I'm not sure why. I mean, I challenge you to go home and Google scriptures and love, and you're going to be amazed over and over and over and over and over again. You hear these scriptures talk about love. It is a really, really big deal, but for some reason, it doesn't get depressed That it ought to give. And we want to spend this entire month making sure it does get the press it deserves. And truthfully, I need to tell you, love ain't for sissies. It ain't for sissies. I'm just telling you. I think it was um, Betty Davis. That probably ring a lot of bells for any of you guys. But, but and really not for me either. She was an actress back in probably the 40s and 50s. But she's kind of accredited with saying growing old or old age ain't for sissies. And sister, I agree with you there. But you know what? A lot of things in life ain't for sissies. Um, marriage ain't for sissies. Parenting ain't for sissies. Uh, kids, you know, loving your parents. That's not for sissies. Um, being an being effective boss ain't for sissies. Certainly the Marine Corps, not for sissies. There's so many things, but here's what I've discovered. You know, that anything that involves people ain't for sissies. And then you come along and we talk about what the Bible says about dealing with people as Christ followers. And guess what? It truly ain't for sissies. Now, the sermon title... Um, you'll see it actually has two means today. Mr. Fix It. Um, the first thing, you know, was when I was, uh, first became a dad, you know, being a dad was cool. And, and Rebecca was three or four. And it, when it started, maybe Jennifer was like three and Becca was four. And, and they, they would bring broke things to me. And they would come and they would bring a toy, a, a, bar, a baby doll or Barbie doll whose arm had fallen off, you know, something. And, and they would say, Daddy, fix it. And you know what? I was pretty good at it. I mean, it may take some duct tape and super glue, but I could get that arm back on old Barbie. You know, she didn't have to go through life one arm. Um, But one day, one day, I'm pretty sure it was Becca. There was actually two instances, but I think this was Becca. And Becca uh, came out. I think I was out in the garage. And Becca came out, and she had taken scissors and just, like, whacked her hair right here. I mean, like, kind of like mine, you know, kind of like that. And she said, Daddy, fix it. And I said, Can't fix that, honey. Only time only time's gonna fix that one. Can't fix that. See, you know, Daddy, Mr. Fix It, had its limitations. And then when faith came along and then slowly the other grandchildren, you know, faith would bring something, you know, and say, Papa, can you fix it? And I became known as as Miss Judy, she'll tell you, Mr. Fix-It. I think the last time I remember, it was not too long ago, Grayson, my youngest grandson, you know, brought in, and he had got a Happy Meal or something, you know, one of those cheap toys, and the head had fallen off or something, you know. And I was able to put it back together. And he got that wonderful look in his eye. You know, Mr. Fix-It came through again. Well, that's really what love is. Love is, in the Bible, is this idea, this concept of mister Fix it. Now, now the scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know a lot about that. But do you know why we have 1 Corinthians 13? Why do we have it? Well, here's, here's the secret answer nobody knows but me, okay? See, the apostle Paul knew that one day preachers would stand up before wedding parties and they need to have something to say about love. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Just for weddings, how we preachers could stand up and say, you know, the uh, secret to a marriage is love, and God has this kind of love, and and here's what it is: love is this, and love is this. And so He knew that, and so He said, you know, I better put this in the Bible, so later on preachers like Dwayne could use it. And and then and then we didn't stop there. He thought too. He said, you know what? It makes a great funeral scripture. Especially when you have somebody married forty-five or fifty or fifty-five years, and you can say things like, you know, uh, you know, these this couple, you know, stayed together for five decades. They're a, a wonderful biblical example of love, and here's what that love looks like: love is patient, and love is kind. And we go on and talk about that. You know, that's not why he put it in there, right? But do you know why he put it in there? Well, our our teaching point will tell us, our intro will tell us, you know. See, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. And he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to the Corinthian church. And here's why. Corinth had problems. Corinth had problems. He did not. He did not put 1 Corinthians 13 in the letter we call 1 Corinthians as a hymn of love. Um, He he didn't write it as a beautiful, poetic hymn writing. No, he wrote it because Corinth had problems. What kind of problems did Corinth had? Well, you know, they were they were abusers. Um, they they abused worship. Um, spiritual gifts were really important to them. And boy, they abuse spiritual gifts. They've abused the Lord's Supper, Chris. I mean, they to them, here's how they did. They must have some Baptist blood in them. You know, because here's how they did the Lord's Supper. They actually would have potlucks, and I'm not being funny, they would have potlucks and bring all this food to the table, and then they would have this food. But the difference is, you know, you ate your potluck. Okay? So if you came to church that day without potluck, you didn't get to eat. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it sounds probably better than, than our juice and bread thing, as far as eating goes, but it's such a, a horrible abuse of the Lord's Supper. Well, they did that. They were abusers. Um, they were envious. Um, they were selfish. They were selfish. Um, they filed lawsuits against one another. You know, you go down to circuit court and there's half the church um, sitting there. Um, they had leadership division. There's this guy named Apollos, and some of them liked Apollos, and some of them liked Paul. And they were divided and fussing over the kind of leadership that they had. They were very impatient um, with one another. Um, they had this deal with sin that they kind of liked it more than they should have, and they overlooked it in the church and things like that. And so so all of this was going on, okay? And, and the bottom line is it was one hot mess. It's just one hot mess. So Paul said, and this is it. Paul said, we need a Mr. Fix-It. And the fix he came up with is 1 Corinthians 13, the story of this love. Well, here's the deal. Corinth had its problems, and you've already read the slide probably by now, but so do we. The church um, has long had issues Western, really in Western culture, had issues, okay? Um, Probably in the 40s and 50s, life was pretty good. Culture and the church meshed, as I told you. Uh, The same values that the church had kind of lined up with with culture in those days. The things that that the the church said were wrong, culture said was wrong. Not always, but you know what I mean? It kind of lined up. But then slowly, some things started coming into the church that caused problems. In fact, it caused problems. War and, and the first one we had was the translation wars. You know, back a long time ago, basically, there were a couple others, uh, but they were kind of like minuscule. But the King James Version was the translation. I mean, it's all you used. You went to any church, uh, any, any Protestant church, and you had the King James Version of the Bible. That's what you had. And then other translations started coming out. And guess what happened? The people that had been using the King James forever said, Oh, you're less than if you use this. You're a liberal if you use this. And man, translation wars broke out in in the church. And then, not too many years ago, we had the, and, and, and still, and still, and still have the worship wars. You know, we always sang the hymns out of the book, you know, and the guy would stand up and lead his arm, you know, swing his arm around. And that's what we did. And all of a sudden, things started changing. And all of a sudden, words appear on screens, and guys have drums and guitars, and, and the songs weren't out of the hymn book. And it really was a big deal. It became such a big deal. That churches would go, okay, we're going to have one service, and it's going to be a traditional service, and we're going to have another service that's contemporary because we can't agree on worshiping together. So they had different, and that still goes on today. It still goes on today. It's just a really, really weird thing. And whoo-hoo, the pandemic wars, that is fresh in our memory. Actually, we're still kind of still in that. Uh, Again, I've been, this is my 40th year as a pastor And I ain't never led through anything like this. I've said this to you many times over the last two years. You know, this was a real challenge to lead through the pandemic. And you know what? Apparently, it was a real challenge for church people to love each other. Because there was wars that broke out in the church. And it kind of, you know, if, if you wore a mask, you loved people. And if you didn't wear a mask, you didn't. You didn't. I mean, it was just, it was really, I mean, we were, you know, do we meet on campus or do we not meet on campus? And it really divided us. It really did. And then you throw in the midst of all that, the election and all the political thing, and I won't even get into that. But it was a really, really big hot mess. And just like Corinth ended up in a hot mess, so we ended up. With a hot mess. And I will tell you that a lot of this stuff, you know, James, you know, James talked about wars in James chapter 4, verse 1. You know, he said, Where do these wars and these battles come from? And he's talking to, you know, to Christians. And and the word, and the word wars is what you would think, it was like World War II. It was a state of war. In some churches, states of war were declared against one another. And sometimes, and, and the word there, you know, they had, and you know, where this war and these battles, it was like skirmishes so so James the half brother Jesus said where's all this coming from and of course ultimately he says it's coming from us it was coming from the people of God okay but here's the deal as we know in real war you know wars in church wars leave the church weakened and sickened weakened and sickened now anyway, James Excuse me, Isaiah wrote a scripture, you know, it's like God's word, and, and he's talking about Israel, but what he writes is something we need to hear. It's Isaiah 1, 5, B, and 6, A. Write that down. Uh, Isaiah 1, 5, B, 6, A, and says this. He says, talking about Israel, your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to fit, foot, covered with bruises and welts and infected with Wounds. That's what the war, that's how the war has left us. And just like Corinth, we need a Mr. Fix It. And I'm telling you right now, hands down, number one, the fix for that is love. Love is so much bigger than we can even begin to imagine now now peter decided to chime in you know paul wrote about this a lot and then peter decides to jump in also and first peter 4, eight, he comes along and he says now watch most important of all so so peter says of all the things i've ever said okay uh, all the sermons i've wrote then and, and you know in my epistles the ones i wrote okay this is most important of all can somebody say most important of all okay now you do understand what most important of all means Yes, exactly. It means most important of all. So what is he going to say to us? Most important of all, continue, which means they were, continue to show deep love for each other. Woo. How about that? Peter says, listen, most important is, listen, don't stop loving one another. Because he knew, he knew, he knew. You know, he, he walked with those 12 guys long enough to know love wasn't easy. Okay? And then the, the the first century church comes along and they discovered love isn't easy. Love ain't easy. Okay? So they come along with this now and says, listen, listen, it's really important to sh- keep showing a deep love for one another. And here's why. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. it it's, it's kind of like a, a blanket, if you will. You know, you, you cover this stuff up. You cover this stuff up. Love covers a multitude of sins. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. See, love can heal broken marriages. Love can heal broken hearts. Love can heal broken relationships. Love can heal a broken world. Love can heal a broken church. So so Peter comes along. He says, listen, you really, you really got to, you got to, Dwayne, if he was here today, he said, Dwayne, you got to tell them, you got to tell them to love each other deeply because it covers a multitude of sins. So what's our teaching point? Okay, this is why this, this adds so much strength to what I've already said so far. God not only loves, God not only loves, he is love. He is love. See, love isn't something that God just, something that God does. It's who he is. It's who he is. I mean, and and my goodness, that that screams DNA. It screams that, okay, if God is love and he's my father, then if I've got his DNA, then I should be a person of love. How about love? That First John 4, 7, and 8 says this. Dear friends, dear friends, here's that word continue again. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Oh, okay. Now watch this. This is important. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. In other words, so, so more than I go to church and that shows I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of God's kids... OK, um, more than more than I give money to to the budget. And so that proves that I'm one of God's kids more than that, more than that. Um, even even more than the things we do, like ministry and stuff. OK, so I'm a child. No, no, no. He said he says, listen, um, the, the, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Now, now, I want you to hear something loud and clear. OK, he's not saying that if we love, that makes us a child of God. He's simply saying that if we love, it demonstrates we're a child of God. See, of all the things we do as Christians, the one thing that really shows off and says we're children of God is our love. Why do you think Jesus said, oh, love one another, because by this, by this, by this, the world will know you're my disciples. That's why he said that. I mean, this is no no small deal. This is a big one. Okay? And then verse eight. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Here it is, for God is love. Not only does God do love, God is love. And here, here's what he's saying. You now, regardless of what you do at church, or how often you come to church, or what you give in church, or, or whatever, okay, if you're not loving, like God loves, that's, that's, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. You need to find out why. What is going on in your life that you're not loving? It might be, you know, like I told you before, I was saved a long time before. And I'm sorry, I was in church a long time before I got saved. So you can go to church and be lost, all right? And this is, a, this is like a DNA shouter. It says, uh, okay, you know, if you, love, if you love people like God loves people, that is, a, that is demonstrating that you are a child of God, to make you a child of God. You know, it's demonstrated. But, but if, if you don't love people like God loves people, none of us perfect. You know that. You understand I'm saying that. You have to, nobody's perfect. But, but if, if love is not a way of life for you, you might want to find out what's going on. Because John comes along and says, if you don't love people, then maybe it is the fact that you don't, you don't know God. Now, I know that's hard. It's difficult. It's hard and difficult. Now, our, our teaching point says this. We often say, you know, well, what if, you know, what if this? Or, or, um, well, if that is so, or, or if that is so, or what about? <laughs> we want to what about. Yeah, you don't understand. You're telling me to love him, but, but what about what he did to me? You, you tell me to love my husband, but what about the fact he's the worst husband in the world? Or to make you men feel better, she's the worst wife in the world. And I'm telling you, if my kids... If I could take them back to Walmart, I would. And I know you guys, some of you would say, I won't take my parents back to Walmart. What about all that, Dwayne? No, no, no. Despite all that, when compared to love, all the ifs come up woefully short. There's not one thing you can name. Ooh, they didn't get this in first service. There's not one thing you can name that gives you a pass, a buy on loving someone. Not one thing. Love, and I've said this a couple, I'm going to say it several times today. Love is not a slideshow, a sideshow, a sideshow on the Christian stage. It is the main event. That's why, you know, we should teach doctrine, yes. We should teach theology, yes. We should memorize scripture, yes. All those things, yes, yes, yes. But the main thing on the stage, is love. See, theology is easy. It may be why it's catching on so big. We, we love to do things in church that are easy learning doctrine, learning theology, learning, the Bible, learning those things. Those are, those are things that are easy. It's easy to go to church, it's mostly tolerable to go to church. This ain't easy, but it's a big deal. And you know why? You know why I can write truthfully that it is the main event? Because God is love. That's why. That's how come I know he's, it's the main thing because God is love. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians 13.1. And Paul starts out by demonstrating what I just said. Love is the main thing. Love is the main thing. It's what he, what he brings, brings out. Now, you know, somewhere Paul... I do not remember what he wrote. But, but Paul wrote and said, I am the chief of sinners. He, I mean, he said that by himself. I'm the chief of sinners. He probably said because he killed Christians before he came one. Okay? But argumentatively, Paul is also the chief of Christians. I mean, he wrote a chunk of the New Testament. Okay? He wrote some things that were like crucial. Things in the, in the in the Word of God. Okay, so he may have been the chief of sinners, but he was also the chief of Christianity. And so, what he's about to say then it really carries a lot of weight. And here's something I didn't. I knew it, but I didn't think about it. Was that Paul writes this in first person? He he doesn't he doesn't say if you could speak all men's. Life. He said if I. So it makes it personal. He brings it home. Here's what he says: If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels. He said, if I could speak all the languages of man and of angels, and this is really important, because in Corinth, that man thing, the language of man was like valuable. It was like valuable. If, you could, you know, if you're a great orator and you knew multiple languages, that was valuable in Corinthian culture. So Paul says, you know, if I knew all those languages and of angels... You know, did you know Paul said in 2 Corinthians that he says, I'm glad I've spoken in tongues more than any of you. So he was, he was a man who spoke the language of angels. And they knew that. They knew that. So, so if I could, and by the way, that was one of the things the Corinthian church loved to abuse. Loved to abuse. So he says, if I could speak all the languages of men and of angels, but I didn't love others, he said, I would only be a noisy, gong." Or a clanging cymbal. If I had the ability to do all of that, all I'd be is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I said in the first service, and I'll say it again now, I really like David's guitar playing. I mean, I, he gets into it, and he's good at it. I think he's good at it. I love it. But I'm not a big fan of cymbals or gongs. I mean, you know, if if I, if I want to relax, I would sit down, I'll go home and say, hey, uh, Alexa, play soothing guitar music. And I would listen to some guy or some gal, you know, strums the guitar. It's just soothing. I rarely sit down. They'll go, Alexa, play the gong. I don't do that. Uh, uh, Alexa, play the cymbals. No. See, they're noisy. They're essential sometimes in music but they're noisy, and they don't last. Boom, and they're done. Boom, and they're done. The guitar strumming lasts. And Paul says, if I was like that, all I would be is a a flash in the fire. I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's all it would molt to. Our teaching point is this. Actions, we know this. Actions speak louder than words. People don't really care what you say. They care what you do. People care less about what you say and more about what you do. The church is tired. Hmm. The church, I'm sorry, culture is tired of our sermons. They want to see some action. And guess what action they want to see? Guess what action is going to change their minds about the church? Love. Love. Love will. Well, Paul goes on um, and writes 1 Corinthians uh, 13 2, and he lists some more things where he says, Well, what if I had to get the gift of prophecy? And, and even though Paul is known more for his writing than his speaking, in fact, they said Paul didn't speak very well. Okay, and, and the Bible says that. So if I had the gift of prophecy, you know, the, and think more proclamation, all right, um, what if I understood all of God's secret plans? And he did that too. In 2 Corinthians 12, you know, he says, you know, I know a man, speaking of himself, I know a man who was called to the third heaven and he heard things that couldn't be uttered. I mean, he saw some things that no other man saw. Uh, If I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. I mean, he was smart. I mean, he wrote Romans after all. I mean, Romans is like the fifth gospel. I mean, Rome, there are people that think, Romans, they have one... If they're going to be on an island and there was one book in the Bible they could have, it would be Romans. It would be Romans. So, so you know, he wrote that book. So he's smart. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains... I mean, Paul was the guy who went into to town and he didn't go to the Holiday Inn. He just right, went straight to jail. I mean, he knew he was going to end up in jail. He had great faith that God was seeing through. But if I didn't love others... He said, I would be nothing. The teaching point says this. The bottom line is great things are great. And good things are good. And admirable things are admirable. But none of them can eclipse the main thing. And that is love. Because, because God is love. Well, then he goes on a little bit further in verse number three and gets in our, our pockets, if you will. He says, well, here's the deal. If I gave everything I have, he probably did. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and, and what if I even sacrificed my body? I might be able to boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I have gained nothing. What? what? You, you mean, if Paul was the biggest giver in the church and didn't love people, he said it'd be nothing? If, if Paul was willing to martyr himself for the cause of Christ and didn't love people, it would be nothing? That's exactly what he says. See, it matters that we love. And it matters why we love. See, so our teaching point says, um, at the core of action is the Motivation. In in other words, not only what we do, but why we do it. So you ought to be constantly asking that question in your life. Not only what I do, but why I do it. Okay. And here's the deal. It simply is not enough just to do. As Christians, we have to do because of Christ. And what did Christ do? He loved people. He loved people. You know, J- David Jeremiah said something that was pretty pretty strong. He said it's possible to be at the, and certainly he's at the top of this Christian service, it is possible to be at the top of Christian service, to be the best worship leader, to be the best pastor, to be the best teacher, to have the best ministry, to have the largest church. It's possible to be at the top of Christian service, respected and admired, and not have that, indispensable ingredient. What is that? By which God has chosen to work in His world today. The absolute, sacrificial, agape love of the eternal God. More important than titles. More important than ministries. More important how big your ministry is. How many people you preach to. How many people you teach to. More important than all of that is this absolute, sacrificial, agape love of the eternal God. I would rather be known as a church that loves people and loves God than being the biggest church and the richest church. Amen? Amen? It's that valuable and it's that important to us. So, at the core of that is why we do what we do. And then, we'll go through this real quickly. And and then, so we get here, okay? And this is where he starts describing love. Okay, He talked about, well, if I do this and didn't love people, it doesn't matter. And here's what love looks like. He starts getting his paintbrush out, and he starts painting on the canvas what love is like. Love is patient. I love this one. You know what it means? It means that you can be wronged and not retaliate. Well, that'd be good in marriage. Hey, kids, students, that'd be good for you. It's good for all of us. Patience is the ability to be offended and not retaliate, um, kind, merciful, generous, and, and replies and support. Be kind, generous. Um, and then he gives us these things. There's like five things, and I'll sum up in one word just a moment. Love is not jealous. Uh, it's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. In fact, it does not demand its own way. We know about that, don't we? You know what I would summarize all that with? Others. Others. We put Jesus first, we put others second, ourselves last. It's a new way of spelling joy. Jesus first, others, and then yourself. Uh, Paul says, love puts others before ourselves. Um, Love puts us at the back of the line. Love means you hold the door open for the 30 people who's coming through. You don't bust through to the front of the line. That's what love does. It's not, in verse 5b, it says, it's not irritable. It's not irritable. You know what this one means? It's, um, it's not touchy. It's not sensitive to slights. My mama used to go to church. She'd come home and say, I don't know if I'm going back or not. Mama, why are you not going back to church? Because she didn't say hello to me. Uh, I'm t- this is true. He didn't say. We all laugh at the one where, well, I don't know. The pastor didn't shake my hand today. Well, well, love is not sensitive to slights. It's not touchy. It, it allows you not to be the person. You know, there's some people you got to walk on eggshells around. Well, love doesn't worry about it. It, it takes care of that. Um, it, it keeps no record of wrong. Claire Barton, she's one of the founders of the American Red Cross. Um, she was asked, she was once viciously attacked. Now, I believe that's verbally and emotionally, okay, not physically. Okay. Claire Barton was once viciously attacked, and when, when asked later if she remembered the incident, she said, "No, I distinctly remember forgetting it." Wow, is that good or what? I distinctly remember forgetting it. It keeps no. How would that change your marriage? How would it change your marriage that that when your wife messes up, guys? See, I, I flipped it for you guys. You know, your wife messes up and she sincerely apologizes. What would it be like in three weeks? She didn't go. Yeah, do you remember when you did that? Do you remember when you treated me that way? It keeps no record of wrong. That's so godlike. God does not keep a track of your wrongs. By God's grace. You are forgiven. How powerful and how wonderful is that? Now, verse 6, verse 6 um, goes like this. You know, It does not rejoice about injustice. This is a good one. It doesn't rejoice when others fail. Oh, come on. You like it. There's somebody in church, and you're just a little bit jealous of them. And then... They mess up and you go, I'm so glad. <laughs> Teach you to be puffy. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't rejoice when others fail. But it does rejoice whenever truth wins out or when they succeed. Isn't that cool? Love doesn't, you know, doesn't rejoice when people fail, but it does rejoice when others succeed. Is that not a game changer for the church? How incredibly powerful that would be. Well, he kind of summarizes in verse 7 and goes, Well, love never gives up. Um, love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. In other words, it's the song that we sing. It's the song that we sing. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. You know I ask myself when I sang that today? What about my love? Because, you know, my love is supposed to be God's love, not Dwayne's. So, does my love fail? Does my love give up? Does my love run out on others? I pray not. See, as Christ followers, His love is our model. What's true of Him should be true of us. Are you seeing how big this is? This is... This is a game changer for churches today. So Paul winds up on verse number 8. And here's what he says. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. There is coming a time when these things that were so treasured by the Corinthian church, uh, proclamation, uh, speaking in unknown languages, and special knowledge, they'll become useless. But what he says. Love will last forever. Um, There'll be no prophecy in heaven. There'll be no tongues in heaven. There'll be no special knowledge in heaven. But you know what will be there? Our love. Love is one thing we can take with us. And I don't know if you're one of those people, you're a little confused and you go, I can't wait to get to heaven. Every day is a golf day. I can't wait to get to heaven. Going to fish all day. Well, there might be golf in heaven, although I can't imagine it because it causes a lot of people to sin and frustration. So there's probably not going to be golf and it probably won't be fishing. But let me tell you what will be there. The opportunity for us forever to sing of the praises of the one. Who died for us. To love him. For all. Eternity. That's what it's going to be like. But we don't need to wait. For that. We need it now. So can I ask you a couple questions. How's it in your heart. I've been. A lot of songs have been going through my head. As I prepare for this. There's an old song. I mean an old song. You know, How about your heart. Is it right today? Uh, If people could see inside, what would they see? Some of the words from that song. How about your heart? Well, we come upon our decision time, and and it's really all about this. everything, Everything we are as Christ followers is because of what Jesus Christ did on the Roman cross. You know, he came to earth, he lived a sinless life, and then he died for the sins of the world. Mine, yours, and everyone else's. And then he made this amazing promise. He said, if we're willing to put our faith and trust in him, believing that he died and resurrected on the third day, and if we're willing to turn from our sin and follow him, we can have eternal life. We could have forgiveness of sins. And if you're watching on Facebook this morning, or maybe on the radio, or maybe you're here in the room, you know, that's my first invitation. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And he would love to tell you about how you can know Jesus Christ personally, how your sins can be forgiven, and how you can have this, this awesome ability to love others, how it can change your marriage, how it can change you know, your power of addictions over your life. I mean, Jesus is a game changer, and he wants to make a difference in your life. For the rest of us who already know Jesus, I'm hoping over the next month that we will really take a hard look at love in our lives. We'll be looking at us. one sermon is about family next week. It's about family. Um, another one is about um, our neighbor. Another one's about, um, you know, friends. The last one is about our enemies. Loving our enemies. It'd be worth coming to church for. So I hope you'll go ahead and schedule that time aside right now um, for those as they come up. Let's pray together. Hey, God, thank you a whole lot for the privilege of sharing these truths today. And, Father, I pray I did it justice. I pray, Father, that we at least have an inkling of understanding of just how important love is. Father, I pray that, that someone here today that's listening on Facebook or on radio or in this room might understand how much you love them and how you sent your son Jesus to die for them and that they can have forgiveness of sins and be with you for all eternity. I pray for that. I pray for those of us who already know you that we'll understand the graveness of the situation, um, Father, that we love one another. There's a world out there, and they're watching us. And they may not be impressed with how we dress for church or the car we drive or, or whatever, but they can be impressed with our love. Let them see the love of God demonstrated in our lives. And this time is yours. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name.